0: you still there? Hey. What? Did you pass out or? No, I just like zoned out for a second. Oh, okay. Do you do that a lot? Uh... (laughs) Last week, we started an illustration from The Secret Life of Walter Mitty and talked about here is a guy who is constantly caught up in his imagination to the point that cripples him from living into a greater reality. And we brought this up as a way to ask this question, um, are we wrapped up in our imaginations or are we willing to step forward into a creative reality that God has in store for us? So take a look at the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Now last week, we started this five-week series, uh, expedition, exploring together God's dream for Mosaic. And we are examining the common dreams that we found out of our emerging, emerging vision process, and we are asking this question: Will we be a church that settles into the comfortability of now, Or are we willing to be a church community that sets out onto a great expedition of faith and discover what God has in store for us? And we started this dreaming process by looking at being a missional church. That was the leading dream that came out of our process. And we looked at that Jesus was a person who went to the neutral spaces of life. That Jesus persistently, as we spoke of earlier, broke bread with the so-called sinners of his day. That Jesus was the one who went to the marginalized and the outcast. That Jesus was willing to step in between the religious and political and social system of his day as a way of showing God's radical love for humanity. And we saw that that is the invitation of Jesus that the church should be a safe space for all people. The church should be a, a, a place that embraces all people, no matter their race or nationality or gender or social status or sexuality or economic value, but we are called to love and care for all of God's people. And we ended with a quote from Brian McLaren last week from his book, The Great Spiritual Migration, which states, Christian faith for me is no longer a static location, but a great spiritual journey. And that changes everything. So what was another dream expressed through our process? Well, the idea was enhancing our community together. So this begs the question, what is community? It's one of those buzzwords that's thrown around often these days. Is community a a clump of homes in a neighborhood, can it be purchased, can it be packaged, can be manufactured? Is it a set of businesses and schools and banks and churches that build this thing called a town? How do you draw the boundaries of a community? And looking at the structure of the word itself, is it a noun? Is it a verb put into action? Is community what we do in conversations and sharing experiences and relationships we have with each other? if, If community is supposed to be a mutual blessing for all people, how do we reconcile our differences that we have with one another? Is community a thing that we only draw as it's convenient to us based on the people that we see the world in the same way as? People that look like us, who think like us, who speak like us. But what if Community requires more time and effort and resources and presence. That isn't convenient. That isn't easy. What if authentic community involves collaboration and ownership and engagement and responsibility? And for this defining of community, we turn to this very familiar passage for us. And actually, instead of me just reading the scripture this morning, I want to invite you to read uh, the text with me. It'll be up here on the screen. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, spent the last few months of of Mosaic, we, as you look at who we are as a community, this text has come into play so often, and it will over this series because it pulls at the heartstrings of who we are. This was the text that our core leadership team literally spent a year mulling over and chewing on in the process of developing this church community because it spoke to our soul of what God was calling us to in this vision that would become Mosaic. And we can see it here in the text. We see the authentic community that's here, and over over again, Luke writes that they, that everyone, that them, that all, the pronouns never state he or her or some of them. It's this unified pronoun, they, everyone, them, all. And then he makes this fascinating statement in verse 44, all believers were together and had everything in common. How is that even possible in this world? But yet he writes it into the text. They had this vibrant cohesiveness. They were unified. They were together. They were willing to do life together. So how does that work? How does this function? Because as I read this text, I want this for my life. I want this for our church community. I want this dream of enhancing community to be something that that continues to define who we are. But how how do you do this? How do you become this? How do we experience this together? These are the questions that I was wrestling on as I was considering this dream of what it looks like to enhance our community together. We see it in this first church, this expression of life, and we can never duplicate exactly what you see there because context and time and circumstances matter, but at the same time, we see this church personifies authentic and transformative community. So how does it work? For that, I want us to look at another text from Colossians 3, uh, verses 12 through 14, where Paul is addressing a, a living, breathing community. He's speaking into uh, what it looks like to be formed and refined and become a community together. And he says in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, "...therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience." Bear with each other and forgive one another of any grievances you have against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Every time I read this text, I think of y'all too because this was the text for your your wedding. In facing this new found world of journeying with Jesus, these new believers in Colossae were, were trying to figure this thing out. I want you to imagine the drastic change in your cultural patterns, in your philosophy, in your everyday living… Into this great journey of redemption and transformation. That is what Paul is writing to as he addresses this church. They weren't some existing community that simply came to know Jesus together. This was a hodgepodge of individuals that all found Christ and somehow came together to form this beautiful, messy thing called the church. And it's a a clashing of their culture with this new culture in Jesus. All of this is coming together. And so Paul writes this, and he tells them to begin to put on the compassion of Jesus. The joy, the hope, the kindness, the gentleness, the patience, the grace, the peace, the forgiveness. All these things, Paul says, put them on together as you try to figure this thing out. Last month, my inner childhood was sustained through the release of Star Wars, The Last Jedi. You'll hear no spoilers from me, except just this one little thing. Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. Just, I'm going to go ahead and put that out there, just in case you didn't know that. Uh, Okay, no Star Wars fans out there really care about that, except maybe one person that smiled. Okay, so this world of Star Wars is built around this narrative of this suppressive empire and the rebellion that's trying to seek freedom from uh, galactic tyranny. You have uh, this empire that is under the banner of power and force and control. The empire is tied together uh, around this network of government and commerce and resources, but on the other hand you have the rebellion. It's this patchwork of individuals from different planets and different experiences. They're united under this intentional purpose of, of ending galactic tyranny. And for this intentional goal they set aside all of their differences, all of their pride to fight under this one rebellion. And as much as I would like to say that I'm the Han Solo of Mosaic and y'all are the Luke Skywalkers and the Leia's and the Chewbaccas. We've got some tall Chewbaccas in here by the way. Okay, I'll still say that I'm the Han Solo, but we won't label anybody else in here. We're not the rebellion. Yet, what we must come to see is that the church isn't just some random gathering of people. We're not just some non-profit or social club. The church is an intentional community. It is a community of people that come together under a common purpose. That's what Paul says in verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... God's chosen. He's, he's given this idea of being set apart, of being formed together into different types of relationships. It's different than any type of friendship, any different any type of business relationship, any type of neighbors, even family. The church is an intentional community. It's this ancient future community that's grounded in Jesus Christ that is pulling people together for the collaboration of renewing God's world. And when we form community together, we form it because of Jesus. Jesus is what brings us together. We're not brought together because one of us is Democrat or a group of Republicans or one of us is conservative, one of us is liberal, or one of us is black, or one of us is white, or one of us is, has a common economic status together, not because we have the same views on exact same issues. Rather, we come together because of Jesus. And Jesus is the one that brings together this diverse background of perspectives and nationalities and experiences. Jesus brings us together. We're an intentional community. Let's go back to Han Solo for just a second. Um, it's been two years since J.J. Abrams um, robbed me of my favorite cinematic character, and just to let you know, no, I haven't forgiven him for it, and I never will. Um, we'll talk about grace later on, but if, if you recall who Han Solo is when we first meet him, he's a smuggler. He's a pirate. In fact, he's willing to take Obi-Wan Kenobi and and Luke Skywalker to their desired destination only for the right price and only for payment in advance. There's this running theme throughout A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back that Han is in for it for himself. His best interest, what's in it for him, even when he's a key player in the destruction of the Death Star, he's all too willing to cut ties and leave. But at some point, the character goes through a transformation. He begins to see that there is something bigger happening in the galaxy except just Han Solo. And he's faced with this choice of worrying about himself or giving himself over to the rebellion. And he chooses the rebellion. You see, the church is this gathering of individuals that if we choose to just see things only in the way we want to see it, what's in us, best for us, then we can never be an intentional community that lives life well together. And that's what the church is supposed to be. As we go back to the book of Acts, as we see what Paul is doing here, uh, as Luke is writing out this text, as Paul is navigating this with the church of Colossae, it's not this idea that they were gathering on Sundays, and then they gathered the next Sunday, and then they gathered the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. These, These people were living life together. It wasn't just some program or event on their schedule. They were doing life together. And that's part of the problem with the church in the last 50 years. We have created the church to be this commodity product that we we pick a church based on the best programs, the best events, the best initiatives, the best pastoral staff. Clearly, y'all didn't pick that church because of that. We pick a church based on the programs that work for us. We, we put that church down when we're ready to move on to the next church and the next church. We, we treat the church gatherings as this commodity on our schedule where we pick it up and we put it down based on what we want to do in our life. But the church isn't designed to be that way. And I'm not trying to be harsh or Debbie Downer or guilt anybody into this, but the church is designed to be an intentional aspect of our life, an essential aspect of, of our life. Church is designed to be a, a transformative community of, of friendships and relationships where our, our kids play together. We gather for meals together. We help each other with projects around the house. We celebrate new life and other achievements. We wrap a warm arm of compassion around each other when there's sickness and loss and death. We, li- we live and lift each other up. We gather together. We encourage each other. We sharpen one another. We challenge each other to become more. Over Christmas break, um, the Culfers literally had a stinky challenge on their hands. Literally, they had septic issues. So I could say the pun intended, stinky issues. You know who was the first person there to to make sure they could help resolve the issue? Daniel Smith. (laughs) On the night of our Christmas gathering, Mandy's car broke down outside here. And you know who was on their hands and knees trying to fix it in the dark? Tucker Barnes. <laughs> All the rest of us guys were, like, standing around like we knew what cars were about, but Tucker was, like, actually knew what to check and what to see here. When Jennifer in Cleveland brought that precious baby boy into this world, even he was the first to make a couple meals, it was Dottie Cook. When Lori faced the difficult news of cancer and the surgery that followed, this community began to put meals together for her. When I think about this church's history, I see story after story of people living life well together, taking care of each other, reaching out and meeting needs, building relationships, sharing meals, um, praying together through difficult times. I've experienced it. Have you experienced it? And this is not a a one-time thing. But living life well together is a continual, ongoing process of actions and emotions and unification. And as our church continues to grow, we must find ways to interweave our lives together. As we see new families and new individuals come in here, it can't be the same old thing again and again. It must require that we step outside of ourselves and include all people and learn and grow from those new individuals and families that come to us. Benjamin uh, Corey, who's a great author, writes, Western individualistic culture invites us to embrace our independence and champion our ability to do this all on our own. But the life of Jesus invites us to embrace a healthy interdependence on others. The radical message of Jesus invites us to express and wrestle with our faith and lifestyle of unbroken community with others. A culture has morphed deeper and deeper into strictly individualistic oriented culture. We now find ourselves in a world where it is not uncommon, not even to know the name of your neighbors. What's even scarier is that we might be sitting in a church pew, not even knowing the person next to us. Not only do we interweave our lives together, but we are called to grow in Jesus together. That's what Paul is getting at in verses 12 through 14. That's what Luke is trying to tell us that they were growing the apostles' teaching. We are not called just to gather as a social thing, but we are called to help shape each other to become more like Christ. And this is why we're so intentional about what we teach on Sunday morning. I don't want you to hear the same thing over and over again. Socrates is credited with saying, I cannot teach anybody anything, I can only make them think. And my hope is that gather that you're not hearing things from the same perspective that you've heard your entire life. You can find any other church in this county that will tell you the same thing you've heard, the same thing every single way you've ever seen in your life. But I want this community to be a church community that asks difficult questions and looks at things from different perspectives to allow you to form a better understanding of why you believe what you believe. That's why we're so intentional about community groups and kingdom kids and students. We want to be a community that lives life well together, but we also want to grow in Christ together. One of the things that we need to wrestle with about the church is this. We would not have one third of the New Testament if conflict wasn't real in the church think about that. We wouldn't have the beauty of 1 Corinthians 13, a passage that calls us to love is patient, kind, goodness. All because Paul is writing in, in the challenges of disunity in Corinth conflict in the church is inevitable. Being in real and authentic community means that we will not see eye to eye, that we will hurt each other's feelings, that we will break each other's hearts, but that means that we find a way to come back together, to listen well to each other, and to reconcile. And this means that we live life true and authentically together Conflict is inevitable within the church, yet we are called to engage in real life together. As one author put it, if the church isn't hard, that's a sign you probably haven't entered into deep enough community, because God's deepest work in us is to teach us how to love. And love doesn't mean much until it is tested by someone who is cranky and narrow-minded and bigoted and critical and harsh. Conflict is inevitable. The church is made of people. The people are imperfect. But how we deal with that conflict matters. Do we run away and hide? Do we pull everybody else to the side to talk about that person except actually going to that one person we have an issue with? Do we just say what's on our mind and never allow someone to speak? Or do we find a way to mutually come together because we love one another, because we have differences, and we want to reconcile these things? This is why Paul writes in in 12 through 14, he calls them to put on what? To put on love. He says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. One third of the New Testament is responding to conflict within the church. It's inevitable. But that's what it means to be in community together. Last year, um, our guys uh, ventured down the Watuga River for a little fly fishing, a little cliff jumping, and a, a little tubing. But I need to clarify two things. First of all, no fish were caught, okay? Eight guys were out there with fishing poles, and not a single fish was caught, okay? That's just plain and simple how it went. There's no stories of anybody's fish getting bigger and bigger as the years go by. Secondly, there were only three of us that jumped off the cliff. The rest of us were smarter by videoing the three dummies that jumped off the cliff. But the best part of the afternoon was tubing. Uh, Nothing says a guy's trip like pushing off in a $2 inner tube from Walmart down a river where you don't know what you're about to face. And and in our first trek down the river, we literally didn't know what we were going to face, but we went down the rapids anyways, and it was an awesome time. It was the best decision we ever made. Until, um, no names, there was someone who decided they would go down the river. I'll tell you their name rhymes with Geordie Lewis. And not um, not only did this companion of ours go down the river without any of us, but then there's the simple fact that this companion didn't know how to swim. And we got back to the top of the river, and everybody started asking that question, where's Jordy? And somebody said, well, he went down the river to go find the rest of y'all. And I remember what happened was all of a sudden eight adult men scattered like ants where some of us are running down the road to try to find them. Some of us are going down the river and eventually we see Jordy sitting in a rock in the middle of the river, water soaked with that look on his face. And of course, if you know Jordy, everyone else was to blame afterwards for this choice that was made, but we all shared this fun adventure together. I think an element that the church has been missing for far too long is that we're supposed to enjoy life together. We live in such a a polarizing and decentralizing culture that is constantly pulling people apart. And it happens within the church. Churches are splitting, denominations are splitting, people are holding grudges, hate is being done. Yet the church is called to also enjoy life together. Could be wrong, the work of the kingdom of God is a serious matter. But shouldn't we have some fun while we're in the process of doing it? I would dare you to find another church that has more fun than we have on Sunday morning. And if you're not having fun, then then you need to find someone else to hang out with in the mosaic because you're not having fun yet. We're a church community that's always found unique things to do together. Like finding like interest and pulling each other together. We tried for years to create these things called affinity groups. uh, To pull people together to find common interest. Just listen to some of the groups we've had. Golfing, wine tasting, poker nights, watching movies, watching The Walking Dead, art, photography, basketball, river tubing, fishing, book club, brewery tours. I know that sounds so boring. But yet it was like pulling teeth to get people to go do things they enjoyed doing. There's so many people in this room that love art and adventures and woodworking and cycling and disc golf and golfing and hiking and fine wines and craft brews and good coffee and cooking and rock climbing and board games and video games and basketball and walking and on and on. Why not discover other people that enjoy doing these things and doing them together? What a novel concept. The church should have fun together. Finish this statement for me. The community that lives life together. Yeah. That statement shouldn't end with is bored together, hates life together, loves life together, lives life together, builds strong relationships together. As we consider this dream of growing dynamic community, we must consider all these things and more. That we are a collection of people gathered under Christ, intentionally brought together for the sake of renewing God's world, called to help shape each other, live life well together. Church, this call to have fun together, to celebrate, and to face sorrow together. And the reality is that we're growing. Go- growth brings new challenges. Growth demands that we come back to the essentials of who we are and what we are called to be. Growth requires that we envelop each individual into this existing community and develop as a result of each new person. Clayton is growing. There's a recent study that was released this last week that said Clayton is going to double—Clayton and Johnson County is going to double in population in the next five years. So that begs the question of whether or not we are willing to be a wonderful and amazing community called Mosaic that keeps that community just for ourselves, or we become a community that shares what we have together with this greater community called Clayton. Will we remain in the comfort of now, or will we step out into faith, into the new dream that God has in store for us?